Hey, everybody, my name's Daniel Ross. I'm a voice actor from Los Angeles. You may know as one of the voices of Lucky the Leprechaun, Starscream from Transformers, and Grimace from McDonald's. This is Kyle on the Isle. And welcome to Kyle on the Isle. I'm your host, Kyle Olson. Our episode today is a real treat. Prepare to be captivated by the incredible talent of today's guest, the one and only Daniel Ross. As a true triple threat in the world of entertainment, Daniel Ross is an Emmy Award winner who wears many hats as an actor, producer, and director. But wait, there's more. This guy has got more voices than a Broadway chorus line, and you have undoubtedly heard him, even if you didn't realize it at the time. He's the voice behind some of the most iconic characters of our generation. From Donald Duck to Lucky the Leprechaun, Starscream from Transformers, Grimace from McDonald's, and countless memorable characters from the video game world. His dynamic range and unmistakable talent have made him a force to be reckoned with in the industry. So buckle up and prepare for an unforgettable journey as we dive into the fascinating world of Daniel Ross. And action! Daniel Ross, welcome to Kyle on the Isle. It is so great to have you here with us, man. Well, thank you for having me. It's such a treat and such an honor to have somebody with so many talents. You really are the definition of a triple threat in this industry. Lots to talk about when it comes to your resume, but I kind of like to start at the beginning, right? Every hero has an origin story. You've been working in the industry for a while now. So tell me, how did this love of the entertainment world come to be for you? And how did that get you in to start? Well, thank you for all the compliments. I will take as many as you'll throw my way. Uh, (laughs) How did I get started? Gosh, I I have had a love of the performing arts ever since I was a little kid and discovered that, you know, if I get in front of a bunch of people and act silly, then they like me. And uh, my love really started in middle school when I did a production of The Music Man. And I was Mm. still the short kid in the class. You know, everybody else had grown. And so I was the little kid playing the villain, Charlie Cowell and The Music Man. And I got a taste of it. And I really loved it. And I continued through high school, studying Shakespeare, going into forensic competitions, uh, being a full-on thespian doing all the school plays i just i loved it so much it was my solace my escape and uh it really solidified my love of performing the performing arts so from there i uh went to college and studied musical theater uh dropped out of college and went into film and tv and became a professional extra and uh, eventually said no i don't like this i want to produce my own content and make my own way and so my buddy justin tim Payne and i we made a, a series of schlocky independent horror movies called ninjas versus zombies ninjas versus vampires and ninjas versus monsters and those were successful 
people. And, uh, you know, I kind of said, what else do I want to do? I really want to try voiceover. I'd really love to do that. And I'd love to go out to Hollywood and give that a try. So came out to L.A. in 2014 uh, with a five-year plan, and we're almost on year 10. So, so far, so good. It's working out all right. <laughs> it's doing all right. <laughs> Minimal complaints. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. When you had first come to Los Angeles, what was the first gig that you did when you got out here? Oh, my goodness. I think the first big one uh, that I booked was... It was quite a day, too. I'll give you a little preamble first. I was working in retail, big box retail, for like 15 years. I was a store manager at Blockbuster. Uh, at the time, I was working overnights at Target, uh, managing oh, wow. the logistics process, so all the trucks coming in, the freight going out, and all the employees. It was the hardest job I had ever had in my life. But wow. it gave me my days free so that I could audition, I could network, I could go do coffee, you know, all that right. kind of stuff. So I pursued my ambitions during the day. I would just lose sleep. And my very last day, I started to book some things and my gut was telling me, Daniel, it's time to move on. It's time to get rid of your insurance and your regular paycheck and go off into the world and see what happens. <laughs> and uh, I said my goodbyes. And that morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, I'm driving off the parking lot exhausted. My agent calls and says, you booked Lucky the Leprechaun. And... I pulled the car over and I wept because it was like, yes, I trusted my wow. intuition. But I'm like, I got lucky. I got I got lucky. I really feel like I got lucky. I got lucky in more ways than one. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was the first big one for me. And it was also a, a momentous moment because, again, trusting my intuition and what I was doing, I leaned into it. And the universe said, all right, here you go. And Donald Duck followed not long thereafter. Wow, that's amazing. It's funny. Literally the next question on my list that, and I like to ask this to everybody because I think it plays so much into when you're first starting off in the industry, but also throughout your career is oftentimes people talk about luck and do you believe that there is such a thing when landing gigs that luck, is luck a part of this in your opinion? 100%. 100%. Uh, you know, if it wasn't me, it would be somebody else. I was in the right place at the right time. I brought my years of training and experience to the moment to be yeah. prepared for it. And so, yes, there is a calculated part of that equation, but uh, the majority of it is, again, luck, being Just in the right place luck. at the right time. Yeah, yeah, very much so. How does that differ from a lot of people talk nowadays, especially about manifesting, right? Where you really want something, you want to take it on. How do you look at manifesting versus luck? Ooh, these are good questions. Um, <laughs> you know, I think the universe gives you what you need when you need it the most, or mm. it brings you a lesson. In my case, the most recent thing that I had manifested or attempted to manifest was my Emmy win. I, I lost my mom to cancer uh, last year, and it has been a very strange, tumultuous time in my life mm -hmm. and in my career and everything else. And the last thing she and I watched together was Mickey and Minnie Wish Upon a Christmas. Now, what people may not know is that my mom taught me how to do the Donald Duck voice when I was three years old. And so this was our love language throughout my entire life. No matter what was going on, good, bad or indifferent, we could always quack each other up. And so, uh, you know, she would tuck me in at night and she would say, Oh, Daniel, I love you so much. And I would say, Oh, Mom, I love you too. 
And so, uh, yeah, that was an amazing journey that we went on uh, with this um, amazing thing that came to my path with with Donald Duck and Disney. And the joy was palpable for the both of us. So when we saw Mickey and Minnie Wish Upon a Christmas, which was my curtain call as the character, uh, the last thing that I had recorded for the time being, it was bittersweet Mm -hmm. to watch that with her. And we held hands and we held each other. And I submitted for the Emmy and uh, won the Emmy. And what kept going on in my brain was thinking, there's a picture of me and my mom that uh, a fan sketched for me that I have in my living room. And I just kept imagining taking that statue and putting it down right next to it. That was the goal in my brain. Yeah. And there wasn't much I could do except submit it and wait and see what happened. But that's what kept going on in my brain. And there's a video on TikTok. I've seen it. It's beautiful. Of me doing that very thing, putting the statue down in front of that picture. And it was exactly what I had manifested in my brain. And it brought me to tears. It really brought me to tears. I I literally have goosebumps hearing that story. I remember seeing that on your TikTok. I think the caption was, this is for you, Mama Duck. That's right. And and that was just so beautiful. The whole story of how this came to be. I want to talk to you a little bit more about this Donald Duck, if we can kind of take this as a a leaping point, if you will. Sure. Uh, How did this first come to be? You talk about how you learned the voice from your mom. Yeah. How did you learn it from mom and where did she learn it from? And how did that turn into you're Donald freaking duck? Uh, well, she she says that she learned how to do it to annoy her mother, my grandmother, um, because <laughs> I, I, I never got a real good reason as to why. But she she learned buckle speech, which is the technical term for Donald Duck talk. And so there's a pocket of air in the cheek that makes the sound. And then it's a a matter of manipulating the front of the mouth to enunciate and the back of the mouth for hard consonants and everything in between. So she learned how to do that. And that was one of the few things that she did. And so I would watch her. I would listen. She would show me where it came from. And uh, yeah, like like mother, like son, uh, I learned how to do it. So, yeah, it came out of a a desire to annoy my grandmother. (laughs) And uh, I, I think that's awesome. But it turned into something a bit more than that, right? It did. How did the opportunity to even have a chance to be Donald Duck come to your doorstep? Being in the right place at the right time. So I moved, I I drove from uh, Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles in 2014. And my goal was first six months, I'm just getting my lay of the land. I'm just going to get acclimated, make furniture, you know, a place to like food, a job, (laughs) all that stuff. And then the following six months, I'm getting an agent. I'm getting new demos. I'm going to really pursue what I came out to pursue. Mm -hmm. And so 2015, right after Lucky the Leprechaun, uh, my agent contacted me and said, you do Donald Duck, right? And I said, what? And uh, she said, well, we've got an audition. And I'm thinking to myself, no way. No way. Those characters are like Supreme Court nominations. You're in for life. (laughs) Like, okay, I'll give it my best shot. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm in Hollywood. There are probably a thousand other people who do that way better than I do. And for me, it was just a means to entertain people. You know, I'd be at a party and I'd, you know, quack some people up, do that. And so it was just a people trick. And When the opportunity actually crossed my path, I realized that stepping in front of a microphone and doing something for friends were very different things. And so I went back, you know, 80 plus years in the Donald Duck catalog just to listen 
uh, as a, a, attentively as I could to all the little isms. Mm. You know, what does it sound like when he laughs? Mm-hmm. <laughs> a diaphragmic laugh compared to what does he sound like when he chuckles? <laughs> <laughs> Very different sounds. How was that achieved? And what can I bring to the audition right. to connect those dots? So uh, that was my job. And I did it. And I sent it off. And I washed my hands of it. And a month later, uh, Disney called and said, we'd like for you to come back in. And uh, I-, I was beside myself. I mean, the first time Disney calls you and you want to be a voice actor, green oh. as I was behind the ears, uh that was exciting in and of itself. Yeah. And so I I carried the, the wind and love of all my friends back east as, as the wind in my sails to get there and do what I needed to do. I psyched myself up and I'm sitting in the waiting room and there are celebrities all around me that I recognize and oh people God. that I admire in the voiceover industry. And it's like, I don't have a chance. I don't have a <laughs> chance. There's no way. <laughs> Little right. old me. Come on. Right. Come on. And so my opportunity came and I'm in the uh, the booth and on the other side are like about 20 people. Yeah. No pressure, right? right. And they're all right. looking at me. <laughs> And uh, so we have a, a script of things to go through, and I went one by one, and I took all their notes and did everything they asked. And I noticed there was one individual sitting in the back, and he kind of had his head buried into a notebook, and he's just scribbling, not kind of really paying much attention. Sure. And uh, they're giving me words, saying, can you say ridiculous? Sure. Ridiculous. Can you say this? Can you say that? Yeah, sure. Can I offer a suggestion? And... They look at each other and they say, yeah, sure. What do you got? And I went, well, how about... <gasps> and the one guy who had his head buried, he looks up and I can't hear what they're saying, but he starts getting really animated and everybody's pointing at each other and doing stuff. And then they click the button and said, can you do that again? <laughs> and I was like, oh, something, something's cooking here. Yeah. Something's happening. We're on the right track uh, now. <laughs> yeah. And so there was another call back and another call back. I had to sing a song and uh, the showrunner for the show, Mark Seidenberg, who actually was the guy with his head buried, he said, that was the moment I knew. That was the moment I knew. And it was literally me just saying, I'm going to take a chance and do something I think could either get me booted out of this room or right to the top of the list. And so nothing ventured, nothing gained, huh? That's right. And it's a little bit of betting on yourself and having that confidence to say, let's go after it. Let's see if this hits, right? You got you know? it. You got and again, it. that luck, a little <laughs> bit of luck, being in the right place at the right time, in the right room with the right people. Also, I have to say, like, back when I was in uh, elementary school and middle school, all the kids on the playground were always amused by my Mickey Mouse. And so <laughs> if you would humor me for two seconds, I would just like to do my Of course. My Mickey... Yeah. Okay. Just, just, just for... <clears throat> Boy, hi, hi there, Daniel. How's it going, buddy? Oh, it's wonderful. It's just great to have you on the show. <laughs> that escalated quickly. <laughs> I can now check that off my bucket list. That's all I needed. So Donald is, for lack of a better term, a legacy character, right? These are all people. You know, Donald started with Clarence Nash and has gone on through the years. Each actor that has taken on Donald has their own kind of approach to Donald. What do you bring to Donald that might be different from how it originated? Great question. So in the history of Donald's 89 years, there's only been three of us 
uh, who have voiced Donald for TV and, and movies. Uh, Clarence Ducky Nash, Tony Anselmo, and then uh, myself. There have been yeah. some other individuals who have done like Disney on Parade or some of the toys or things like that. So I don't sure. want to diminish their contributions at all. But in terms of the, the main voice, there's only been three of us. Right. And so my work was cut out for me when I stepped into the booth uh, again, as green as I was being excited to work for Disney in the first place. But I did my research. Yeah. And I knew that this character meant so much to so many people. Donald is known the world over in multiple different mm -hmm. languages. And everybody has a friend, a neighbor, uh, a relative who does that voice and makes them smile and feel special, whether they're here or no longer with us. And that kind of brings us all together. So I took this so seriously and I did all my research and I arrived as prepared as I could be. Now, they originally asked me for as close to Clarence Ducky Nash as I could get. And Clarence, part of the yeah. shtick was he's kind of unintelligible. What do you say? What do you say? <laughs> you know? And so what they said is because we're doing a Disney Junior show, we want to be able to drive more of a narrative. So we need Donald to sound a little bit clearer if you can do that. And if you can maybe pitch him up slightly so it's more friendly to the younger ear. And I've always considered myself a master of buckle speech. So I was like, yeah, sure. OK, so we go from Clarence doing to and that's what we ended up doing. So you always go into this saying, I don't want people to hear me. I want them to hear the character that they love so much. And so that was the biggest challenge out of all of it. And to walk that line of saying, OK, I'm infusing a little bit of myself into this character while keeping it and maintaining it exactly as it is. That, that was no easy task. It was no easy task, but one that I loved so much. That's incredible. And it's neat to see how it's changed and evolved and how the needs have also changed and evolved, right? The, what they were doing, yes. you know, 80 some years ago is different from how we're doing productions now and how that kind of evolves over time. And what I loved is the writers would always come to me and say, oh, we've never been able to write so much for Donald. This is great. <laughs> because people can actually put him into a plot. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Wow. Oh, that's incredible. When you were first kind of starting this Donald experience, was there somebody that was kind of mentoring you? Was it mom or were there others that were helping you along the way? So I really discovered that I wanted to be a voice actor because I had met other voice actors. Yeah. And I realized very quickly, these people are like me. It's like I found my tribe, weird, quirky, right. lovely people who love what they do, are humble and just spread joy wherever they go. I just, I identified with that and I said, why not me? So yeah. voice actors really were my inspiration. And when I moved to LA, I was fortunate enough to befriend uh, Debbie Derryberry, the voice of Jimmy Neutron. Tron, yeah. Bob Bergen, the voice of Porky, Porky Pig, my good friend David Sobolov, who encouraged me to move out to L.A., the voice of Gorilla Grodd on The Flash. He was just in Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Amazing people who, I guess, saw something in me and took my hand and said, let's go. Yeah. Let's let's uh, let's guide you a little bit. And so I owe a lot to them. And uh, obviously the people who came before Clarence Ducky Nash, I owe a lot to because he created the character along with Walt Disney and carried that torch for 50 years. Mel Blanc, who I oh. grew up listening to. Legend. 
I, I was a child of the 80s, so Saturday morning cartoons, Transformers, G.I. Joe, Thundercats. That was it. Masters of the Universe, Gem and the Hologram, <laughs> Smurfs. The, that was my jam. Looney Tunes, Scooby-Doo. That was, that was my upbringing. So uh, I give credit to those individuals and the TV, which was a great babysitter. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good way to start. Now, I will say, to my parents' credit, my mom instilled yeah. that creativity in me. She was an amazing artist and, and encouraged my strangeness because we just fed off each other. My father didn't quite understand. He was a doctor right. and very left-brained, but he was always supportive. He would always show up to my school plays and say, I don't understand what it is you're doing, but it's great. But good for you, son. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's all that you need, right? As long as you got the support, that's all you really need. It's incredible. I know a lot of people don't get that. And so, again, I feel very lucky in that respect. I agree. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit more. You teased this a little earlier. Your first kind of big Hollywood gig, Lucky the Leprechaun from Lucky Charms. How did this come to be as you're landing this first gig? And what is the magic that goes into bringing someone to life that is... He's a cartoon character, but he's also, at the end of the day, an advertisement. He's a commercial. How does your approach here change? Not by much, to be honest. What I was doing was an impression of Doug Prees, one of the longer voices of Lucky the Leprechaun. It started with Arthur Anderson, yeah. Doug Prees. There have been many. I think there's probably been over a dozen of us. And so, uh, yeah, they wanted Doug Prees. That's what they asked for, and that's exactly what right. I gave them when I went into the studio. Frosted Lucky Charms, they're magically delicious. You know, and it was an amazing journey to step into. That was, I guess, my second legacy character the first being right. starscream from transformers lucky the leprechaun and then donald duck but yeah that was uh it was incredible because so lucky charms was the cereal that i could not have when i was younger my <laughs> father again the doctor was like no 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 i looked at the ingredients and no that's that's gonna be a no and so anytime i would visit my grandparents they would say anything you want honey you go to the store you get anything you want and i'd say lucky charms right, so right. i'd get a box of lucky charms i'd pick out all the marshmallows and i'd mush them into a ball and i would eat the ball of marshmallows <laughs> and at the end it looked like i murdered a unicorn with all of the colors on my hands it was wonderful naturally and so yeah. I'd come home and be super hyper, and my dad would be like, what did you do? <laughs> so, yeah, to, to play uh, Lucky the Leprechaun uh, for, for that, uh, again, it's just something that is anchored inside of me and is special for that reason, because I have those memories. I have memories of visiting my grandparents and being a young kid, and those are, those are very special to me. It's incredible how these characters, especially these legacy characters, the ones that have been around for generations, uh, how they bring out something in us, right? Yeah. And how they bring out something in our parents and our grandparents that, you know, sometimes you don't see until all of a sudden it hits or it's on the TV or the radio and you just see that, yeah. right? Have there been times in your career where you have seen this play out in real time where you're doing a voice and suddenly you see that impact or that glow or someone just really comes to life in a way that maybe they otherwise hadn't? Yes. What I often like to say, this is this is a new saying I like to throw out there. Uh, uh, cartoon characters are uh, echoes of our past and custodians of our childhood. Oh, oh, that's good. 
in that respect, we can always go back and tap into that special place that they hold dear in our hearts. They will exist long after we're gone. And as a steward right. of a character of a voice, that character will continue long after I'm gone as well. So to be a part of that, to be a, a measure of solace for other people in that respect is a very interesting niche that I never thought was something possible. This is a job to me. This is something I love. But at the end of the day, it's a job and I'm in my yeah. bubble. And so I don't really see what the reverberating effects are until you do. And so an example right. of that was back in 2007. I was at a convention in Rhode Island and Transformers the game had just came out. I was voicing Starscream, which was so wonderful because I'm a huge Transformers fan. I've got Cybertronian <laughs> on me. I've got a huge collection. Uh, foundational to who I am as a performer. I, I owe a lot to Transformers. I'm sitting at a table and I'm signing autographs. I'm sitting next to Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime, David Kay on yeah. my left, Megatron from Beast Wars. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, where am I? This is incredible. And people are coming yeah. up to see me. And a little bit of me at the time was like, oh, you know, my ego is being stroked. This is really nice. Sure. And it was immediately changed because there was a girl who came up to me. And she threw her arms around me, gave me a kiss on the cheek, and was showing me artwork that she had created. And as she's talking up a storm, there's a woman standing behind her who is crying her eyes out. And I'm looking at this situation going, what's going on here? And yeah. so this girl, this wonderful, sweet girl, she she finished what she wanted to say. I signed something for her. She left her artwork with me, and she gave me another kiss on the cheek and moved on to Peter's line. And uh, the woman who was crying runs up to me, throws her arms around me, gives me a kiss on the cheek and says, I don't know who you are, what it is you do, but my daughter is nonverbal autistic and hasn't spoken in five years. God bless you. And wow. that was the moment that ego completely dissipated because I realized very quickly what this means to other that, people. That's what it's for. Yeah. And I was forever changed. I was forever changed by that. Um, so, yeah, I realize now this means a lot to a lot of people. And because of that custodian nature of that inner child, that lasts forever and it touches everybody. And so I want to be a good steward for these characters to have that kind of impact. If I can make this world just a, a, a scotch better... Because I'm doing what I love, so yeah. be it. Come on. I love that. Absolutely. I think that's a beautiful approach. And it's something that, again, it quickly humbles you when you have an experience yeah. like this. Especially oh, with these legacy characters, right? Another legacy character, as if the, the list isn't long enough already, <laughs> uh, that recently, I think, came into your Rolodex is the kind of return of Grimace at McDonald's, I see the purple shirt you're wearing right now. That's uh, right. That's right. And, and and remember, my eyes are up here. Or, or they're here. I, I don't know. <laughs> so how does the role of Grimace come to be? <laughs> Much like everything else, I think being in the right place at the right time with, with the right yeah. uh, tools. A year ago... I received an audition for Classic Grimace. That's what they were looking for, Classic Grimace, which in oh, my mind is Frank Welker basically doing yeah. Barney Rubble. Uh, hey, Ronald, how's it going? <laughs> and right. so that was my audition, and I booked it. It was for a Super Bowl commercial, and it was a commercial where everybody's, uh, you know, in front of the menu going, can I get a, uh, 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 and you cut to Grimace going, uh, and then there's these two sandwiches going, pick me, no, pick me. 
And so that was me. And I was booked for that. And I was so excited. Like, oh, my gosh, my first Super Bowl commercial. And Grimace, my favorite McDonald Land character of all time. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I ate more McDonald's because of those characters than I probably oh, should sure. have. Um, <laughs> and just, again, because of the nature of my childhood and that being a piece of it. The characters are very special to me. So yeah. that tickled the, the cockles of my heart. And I was so excited. And the day came and it wasn't me in the commercial. And I'm like, what? That, that, that's not my, uh, uh, that's not me going, uh. And I'm looking around like, what's going on? I didn't hear anything all over the web. Ryan Reynolds voices Grimace from McDonald's. It was a big PR thing. And I'm like, no. Ryan, don't you have enough? <laughs> but, you know, if you're going to lose something to Ryan Reynolds, uh, you know, I couldn't go to a better person. So uh, that's right. <laughs> it was just it was the strangest thing. And so recently they contacted me again and said, we have more stuff for Daniel. And I'm, you know, saying, oh, oh, do you? Oh, do you really? <laughs> right. I've and heard so, this before. <laughs> yeah. And it happened to be a massive national campaign uh, yeah. celebrating Grimace's birthday. And so I brought the same thing that I did before, the classic grimace. Hey, guys, how's it going? And they said, no, deeper, uh, more Eeyore, slower. And so my grimace is kind of like this. Oh, surprise. (laughs) And so it's a little bit of a departure, but I don't own that character. They tell me what they want. And as a performer, I give them what they want while at the same time trying to to inch back towards what people recognize. So the one thing that I did get in there was the laugh. (laughs) That's the one thing I was able to get in there. And so that ties the character and has that connective tissue to the Um, past. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But it's a it's a new version of the character. And I'm just uh, pleased as pickles that it's me. (laughs) And and again, once again, you're seeing a legacy character, an evolution, something that started here and has kind of evolved through the years, but you're, you're making it your own. You're changing it to what's needed now, but also keeping those roots back to what grandparents remember when they saw and heard Grimace, right? Which is part of the magic and keeping that all alive and being that steward. I think the biggest challenge for me in that respect, sidestepping a little bit from Grimace uh, to uh, mm-hmm. my favorite gremlins, Gizmo and Stripe, who I voiced in a game oh, called sure. Multiverses. Uh, yeah. Those are characters where there were two movies and then some video games and some commercials. But how does, you know, Gizmo sound when he's fighting? How does he sound when he's falling off the stage? How does he sound when he's throwing this or punching that? And so there really right. was no reference other than, you know, Gizmo, bright light, bright light. You know, and then Stripe, of course, Gizmo, caca, yeah. Not much reference there. Right, not much. And so I had to really go in and say, all right, we're in uncharted territory. Let's take what I know and hope for the best. (laughs) Right. A few creative liberties had to be taken at some point, right? Exactly. Yeah. How exciting. So we talk about all these roles that you've had, but I'm also curious to learn a little bit about your take on the industry as a whole. You've been doing this now for quite some time. You've obviously found success in it. You've been carrying legacies for multiple characters and then some. And so I'm curious, when we talk about the industry as a whole, in your mind, when you're working on any kind of production, whether it's a TV show, a commercial, what have you, 
What ultimately do you think makes a production a success? What do you take away as like, this is the key. This is what I've seen on the things that are the most successful that I've worked on. I think it ties, wow, what a great question. I, I think it ties again into protecting that inner child something that mm. has meaning to people beyond their daily lives that that roots them in mm -hmm. nostalgia and really enlivens that inner child i i think those are the things that find success right now it's comic book movies which have been successful over yeah. the past you know 10 years i mean really successful they've been around for a while but really successful and now mainstream and it's because of that nostalgia. The people that grew up with those stories are now seeing them brought to life. For me, it was Transformers. My very first movie sure. that I ever saw in theaters was The Transformers the Movie, 1986, which came out on yes. August 6th. My birthday is August 4th, so my dad took me uh, for my birthday, and wow. I got to see Optimus Prime uh, murdered. And that was fun. That was not traumatizing <laughs> at all, as well as all the other cast, because they were just trying to sell new toys. But so that was the first time I went to the movies and went, wow, I can see things that like maybe I'll never see in my lifetime or feel things that maybe I would never feel. And to me, that was pure magic. It harkens back to touch on those things that are really special for people. And nostalgia, mm. 110%. I think that is the key to all of it. But look, you never know what's going to connect with an audience. You do your best when you jump into a project. You infuse as much of yourself and as much of your lived experience as you can to bring those characters to life. As silly as the character is or as real as the character is. Uh, I've played everything from silly characters to scary characters in video games and, you know, weird characters on camera. And all of it is the same. Yeah. If you bring something interesting to the character uh, to, to make them seem more alive, that really is, I think, what people tap into. I think that's beautiful, and, and, and it clearly shows in all of the work that you've been oh, doing. stop. No, go on. You know, it's true. It's true. <laughs> I imagine that, you know, you're a busy guy. You're jumping from gig to gig, and you're going off in, in the world doing all these voices Gratefully and other things so. that you've been doing throughout your career. How do you maintain a healthy work-life balance? This is a thing that I think more and more people are starting to talk about, especially yeah. in this day and age, right? We were all cooped up for fears during COVID, and yeah. we learned what the definition of going crazy is. People can see it live with me on TikTok. Um, I went through my crazy journey on TikTok <laughs> in 2020, and uh, <laughs> woo! that was interesting. The archives are all there. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can see my descent into madness. <laughs> so how do you, you, how do you approach that with your your work-life balance when you know work is getting crazy and there's a lot of gigs and auditions and things what do you do to keep centered and balanced i was always a kid who would stay at home and build a pillow fort and play with his action figures and make scenes and do voices i was always fine being alone and i think mm -hmm. in the birth of my creativity that's kind of where i flourished so for better or worse, when the pandemic hit uh, and the world seemingly ended, I was forced back into that same space of I'm by myself. I yeah. have to entertain myself. And it was like I didn't miss any steps doing it. It was easy for me. And so when I approached uh, my career and moving out to Los Angeles, I really said, I'm not doing anything fun for the next five years. I'm not going on vacation. I'm not taking my money and doing crazy things with it. I am burying myself in my work and I'm going to give it my all and see what happens and see if that's enough. And right. 
the way that it worked out for me, that worked very well. Now, obviously, that is not sustainable for a long period of time. You got to have people you can talk to, uh, friends who know you inside and out and aren't going to judge you for the weird takeaways that Hollywood might give you. I am very grateful for my friend Justin and Kelly Tim Payne, who have been by my side since the very beginning for over 20 years. Friends like my friends Devin, uh, Debbie Derryberry, David Sobolov, who I mentioned before, uh, who I can really lean on. That has been a huge help. What else do I do? I like to go sweat. I go to an infrared sauna uh, once or twice a week. That is my little Ooh. oasis and getaway, and it's healthy for me. Okay. So uh, I love yeah. to do that. I like to meditate. I collect uh, action figures, Transformers, and so that's another little Excellent. thing for me that I can work on. And I like the puzzles. I like working on them and uh, uh, just kind of escaping my mind for a little bit, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, having a good support system, self-care, taking care of yourself physically, trying to eat right. I'm only getting older, so, you know, not as much Taco Bell or McDonald's <laughs> as I used to, but uh, uh, right, it's, right. it's just kind of uh, an evolving process. But yeah, I try to take care of myself as best I can. And now for me, it's all about like travel. I really want to travel more, get some more experiences because you only bring those into the booth with you when you're recording. So more lived in experiences is kind of my next goal. Yeah, absolutely. Where, where's next on your bucket list for traveling out of curiosity? I re oh, I really want to visit Machu Picchu. I love ancient archaeology. Ooh. I'm fascinated by the pyramids of Giza, Gobekli Tepe in, in Turkey. Uh, when I was in Mexico, I, I went to Teotihuacan, climbed the Pyramid of the Sun. I mean, that that's really my happy place. And so I think Machu Picchu, but I don't want to just take the bus. I want to do the four-day Inca trail hike in the mountains that leads to Machu Picchu. Oh, wow. So that I can earn it. Oh, you want to do the real deal. Yes, that's what I want to do. <laughs> that's commitment. So that's what gets me excited. And, uh, you know, when you're dealing with your day-to-day -day kind of stuff, it's the things that excite you that really get you out of bed every single day. So absolutely, it's good to have something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Am I ready for it? I don't know. I'm not as physically adept as I probably <laughs> yes. would like. Uh, you know, but elevation sickness, I probably will succumb to it, but I want to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. And it'll be great. You'll be great. <laughs> Obviously you look forward to doing these kind of things outside of work, but you also clearly have a love for your job yes. as well. And that very much comes through. Yeah. One of my favorite questions that I love to ask people, especially those that have been around the block in the industry and had some experience is what is the most Hollywood thing? that you have ever experienced. Whatever doesn't violate NDAs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, what's the most Hollywood thing? Nothing crazy. I, I mean, I've okay. been to some mansion parties where there's celebrities and people are, you know, sure. imbibing uh, to their heart's content. I I've been to some of those, yeah. but I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's crazy. I think the thing that resonates with me the most, when I first got here, I went to the walk of fame and to the Chinese theater oh, and sure. all the touristy trap spots. And yep. it was great, but it didn't do anything for me. It was like, Oh, that's oh, it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And I was a little disappointed until I did two things. First thing was I hiked, uh, what's called the wisdom tree to the Hollywood sign. Oh yes. Uh, and Beautiful. you can go behind the Hollywood sign. So you're looking out on Hollywood and you see all the rivets and the yeah. bolts that make that symbol. And to me, that yes. was just, 
uh, hugely cathartic to be able to to see that. And that really filled me up. And then, of course, I did the Warner Brothers studio tour and I had a friend who was working that day and was able to take me around on the golf cart. And I just had unmitigated access to a working studio. And again, yeah. it was like, well, here's where the magic is really being made. And that filled me up inside. And so those are the things I keep in mind when it's just, uh, you know, work and it's just a place. That's really where the magic yeah. ties in for me. I lo- that's a perfect answer. And I'll tell you why. For the first part of your answer, I could not agree with more. When I came out to Los Angeles, I moved out here in 2007. Like you, I went down to Hollywood and Highland. I, I couldn't get enough yeah. of the things that we perceive on TV. You know, the small town kid that was growing up in South Milwaukee, Wisconsin. When I first moved to L.A., this is what I imagined. This is Hollywood, mm-hmm. right? Swimming pools and movie stars. Yeah. And, you know, the whole, right? And you get out there and you're like... What is this? Marilyn Monroe star is in front of a McDonald's. You know, nothing against Grimace and our friends at McDonald's, of course, but it just doesn't seem, you know, I got into this industry and I feel you're the same way because like, I love this industry. I still get excited every time I go on set. I still get excited going on to the studio lot and to go into Hollywood, you know, you have this envision of what it was back in kind of the heyday of Hollywood. That is very much no longer the case that occasionally comes to life for a red carpet or something like that, but otherwise is just a tourist trap, right? A place is just a place is just a place. Exactly. And here there's traffic and smog. (laughs) Good food, mind you, good food. Lots of great entertainment at night. Yeah, but it's different, But it's just a place. so it... It's just a place, but it, it it really goes back to that whole thing of like, you know, it, 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 that's not it, right? That That's not what you're after. What yeah. you're after is the bigger thing, the magic that's really made behind the doors of the studio lots. And, you know, you looking out onto the city, I did something very similar where I, I found my favorite spot that I still take friends when they come into town to the Hollywood sign and this kind of thing. And that that's my favorite place to yeah. take them because that's where you feel the magic. It's yeah. not at Hollywood and Highland. It's not Ripley's. It's not Madame Tussauds. <laughs> It's it's at the Hollywood sign, right? Yeah. And then I, I love the second part that you said too, which is that you go to these studio lots, and that's when you really start to come alive. And there's a sort of magic in the air. And you know, this sounds so darn cliche, but you have these sound stages that are basically just empty boxes, yep. right? But how many things through the decades have shot in each and every one of these sound stages? And it's uh. almost as if the industry is, you know, fueling that creativity, past and present, right, into an experience that fuels the current creativity from what happened in the past and what's happening now in the moment. And it sounds like you had a similar experience when you were exploring the studios for the first time. Yeah. My question for you, though, is do you still get that feeling? Do you still get excited when you go to the studio lots and when you step into a booth? It's the echoes of the past, You know, you see the cogs and wheels uh, of all the moving parts behind the scenes. And for me, the magic is in the storytelling. We've been telling stories since our cavemen times in front of the fire and on the cave walls. And we're still doing it to this day, albeit at a much greater level and a much more in-depth level. And it's still evolving. But the mechanism that's there, the passion to do that is still the same. And so, yeah, the the echoes of those past uh, endeavors 
absolutely inform that. I, I did a, a show called uh, The United States of Al, and I was uh, uh, I was on the TV. Mm-hmm. I was a broadcaster on the TV, but they physically brought me to Warner Brothers, and I'm working on the set. I had a trailer and everything else, and on the day yeah. I'm on the set, I'm reading in front of a microphone, and the actors are in front of me doing their thing to what I'm cueing them to do, and I'm watching the camera riggers and the lighters and the technicians moving in like a dance formation to create these scenes and move at a brisk pace. And it was, again, it was just pure magic to me to see that, that all these creatives from all these different facets come together to create. And yes, yes, it absolutely enlivens that spark every single time I get to see it. Every time I see something that I've worked on where I know I'm standing right in this in this position in my booth recording something and now it's on TV. Or, you know, now it's in somebody's right. video game or something like that. That's it's like, ah, if only they knew I was standing here in my underwear recording, you know, this particular thing. Like, <laughs> they have no, no idea. Right. <laughs> no idea. And they don't need to. They don't need to. <laughs> um, we'll keep that to ourselves. Right. Exactly. My last question in this act, and then we're going to get into the Hollywood hot seat to wrap things up okay. here. But I, I want to talk to you. Uh, we talked about this up front. You mentioned the Emmy Award that you won yeah. uh, very recently, which, of course, hearty congratulations go out to you for that. Thank you. I still can't believe that. <laughs> As an Emmy recipient myself, I still sometimes shake my head in disbelief that the thing happened, right? Yeah. If childhood Kyle saw today's Kyle, he'd be like, yes. Yep. <laughs> My question for you, and this may seem silly on, on a surface level, but I'm getting to something deeper here, is do these awards, specifically the Emmy, mean something to you? And the reason I ask this question, it may seem silly, is because a lot of people kind of just, eh, you know, that's the Emmy, that's it, you know, they're just giving awards to each other, you know, it's just Hollywood patting themselves on the back and all that. But I don't know why everybody sounds like a, a, a 1940s <laughs> agent or something. Everyone sounds like Harvey uh, Pius for some reason. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, it, do, you know, it, when I won Miami, it was this idea that, like, the peers that I work with that I've idolized for years have said, you did something that is really special here for what could be multiple reasons. Right. And that to me just was such a feeling. And it obviously went beyond just my peers because it had a deeper meaning with the project that I worked on and the people that supported me to get to that project. Obviously similar things with you in that this was a very special link to your mom do these awards mean things to you? And if so, what? Wow. Um, yeah, they do. This one in particular. When I was in high school, my world imploded. My parents got divorced and we lost our home. I ended up on the street for a little bit. It was a very tenuous time in my life. And the one thing that I could escape into was the performing arts and acting. Mm. It was my one release and escape from all of the turmoil that was in my life. And it was during that time that I realized acting is what I wanted to do. The performing arts was going to be my direction because I felt like maybe I could be a light for others who have traversed a similar path. That, Mm. yeah, things can get really hard. Things can blow up in your face, but you can still have magic in your world. And so... Jim Carrey had written a check for a million dollars that he was going to cash someday, and he kept it in his wallet. And I heard that story, and so I wrote myself an IOU for an Academy Award. 
And mm. I kept that in my wallet and uh, I've had it with me all these years. And I made a video about this on TikTok too, but it ties directly into those moments of my life and seeing how far I've come and the power of what I do to be able to influence people positively. If mm -hmm. I can make some people laugh, if I can lift the spirit for just a moment for somebody, I, I, it's honoring the people who did that for me. It's honoring mm. the people who did that for me. And so that's one layer. The second layer, as you mentioned, was about honoring my mom. How many people have that kind of opportunity in front of their peers and colleagues uh -huh. who create that magic for generations, all looking up and staring at you in admiration of what you've contributed? I don't feel like I've contributed that much, but mm -hmm. to have that recognition, that meant the world to me. One of the most beautiful Emmy Award speeches I've ever seen was your speech and the dedication to your mother. It was Thank it you. was so raw, it was so real, and it was so beautiful. I honestly did not think it was going to happen. I was completely dissociated in that moment. <laughs> I had nothing prepared, and it was <laughs> yes, just like... You just got to levitate to the stage, right? Say something, Daniel, say something! Uh, but the last thing that I would say about the meaning of the Emmy is my dad always wanted me to be a lawyer or a doctor. Mm. And so, again, he never understood what I do. And this was my way of saying, uh, this worked out okay. I, I, I found something that works, you know? <laughs> this, this works. I'm still a quack, Dad, <laughs> but uh, in a different way, in a different right. way that you anticipated. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> and by the way, in, in that ceremony, which was sold out, there was one empty seat right next to me. And so that wasn't lost on me either. Oh, my God. I just got goosebumps. That's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I'm getting verklempt. <laughs> As you should. It's a beautiful story. Everyone who has been important to me in my life, yeah. my mentors, my family, it went on a gratitude tour mm. and has physically been touched by all the people that mean something to me in my life. My grandmother, who just turned 100, who my mom did the voice to annoy, she this. got to hold the Emmy with me. And so it's not just a statue taking up space yes. in my office. It's something that is connected to everything and everyone that I care about in so many different ways. That's beautiful. That, that is absolutely beautiful. I couldn't have said it better myself, man. That's absolutely beautiful. I will also say, <laughs> I saw on your TikTok when you were doing the gratitude tour, I think maybe my favorite video on the internet. It's probably my favorite video. I'm a, everybody that knows me knows I'm a Disney guy. I love going to the resorts. I love going to the parks, of course. Yes. Who doesn't? And my favorite thing to do at a park is go to a character buffet. And you went to a character buffet to give Donald his Emmy. And it's the greatest video yeah. you will ever see on the internet. It is absolutely amazing. <laughs> well, you know, it's Donald's first Emmy. Yeah. And so I had to show him. I had to show him and present it to him. Of course. And uh, again, that meant the world to me to share that with him. And I'm sure it meant something to Donald, too. Oh, yes. And Donald came out multiple times to, to hold it. <laughs> I'll bet he did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. And uh, I was just pleased to be able to do that. But again, I wouldn't have that opportunity had it not been for Disney, yeah. had it not been for that character and the legacy of the people who have voiced him before. Uh, that's my little that's my little feather in my cap, my little notch in the in the history books. Absolutely. And I'll take it. Absolutely. And you should be proud of it because it's a beautiful legacy. So congratulations to you, sir. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Hot 
seat. We're going to travel now into our third and final act. This is 10 rapid fire questions that we call the Hollywood hot seat. So for these, give me the first answer that comes to your mind. Don't think too hard. Just whatever kind of floats. Can we turn the temperature down? The seat is really hot. Oh, oh, it's oh, really oh, okay. hot. Yeah, let, let, let's turn it down just a little bit there. You're cooking my Is that more comfortable for you, sir? Is that, is that more comfortable? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, yes, that, okay. that's breathable. <laughs> All right, here we go. Ten questions. First thing that comes to mind. Question number one. What's your favorite movie? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> there's so many. I would be remiss if I didn't say my first movie, Ninjas vs. Zombies. It's a good answer. But one of the very first ones that I love that not many people know about is The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Oh, all right. I'm adding With that Eric to my Idle and Uma Thurman and Robin Williams. It's a Terry Gilliam film, and not many people know about it, but it is whimsical and wonderful, and it is my creativity in a bottle. That sounds wonderful. All right, next question. Favorite TV show? Oh, man. See, I'm one of those people that's like, give me, give me, let me do my top five or my top ten. <laughs> if you had to pick one, I know, I know this is an impossible question. If it has to be one, I have to say, I'm going to get some flack for this. Lost. Oh, not wow. because it ended really well, or because you know it didn't meander at places, but it was. It was fascinating, especially was. the second season, the mystery, yeah. the, the the compelling nature of I want to listen to the podcast and hear all the different theories about this show. It was the first time I was really engrossed into something like that. All right. Um, but I got to I got to throw in I got to throw in from the early 90s Beast Wars Transformers, because that was the moment that I knew that there were voice actors behind the characters. Right. And that that was a job that you could have. That so you found. I'm just yes. throwing that out there as a special mention. I think that works. I think that's good. Uh, the fictional character I identify most with is. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, oh, man, because I've <laughs> given myself to these characters. I have to find a part of myself in there. I know. That's why we put it on the list. I, I'm going to just say Donald Duck. He has been the most influential in my entire life. He's my favorite character of all time. How could I not? And when you're usually in the booth without pants, it just, it all makes sense. Yeah, that all makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest guilty pleasure movie or TV show? The one that you don't necessarily brag, but like you'll watch it all the time. Uh, okay, so I, I do love some reality TV, and uh, I, I'm a big fan of Gordon Ramsay. So oh, yeah. uh, things like MasterChef, Hell's Kitchen. Good I answer. know it's relatively formulaic, but I love it. I don't know why I love it so much, but I can't get enough of it. So, yeah. Gordon Ramsay reality shows. I'm, that's, that's what I'm going to say. Final answer. That's a good one. That's a good answer. Uh, favorite movie <laughs> quote? Ooh. Let's buy the quick stop. From oh. Clerks 2. My friend Justin Timpain and I, we were Clerks fans. We went to see Clerks 2, and we're struggling actors, and they're thinking of buying the Quick Stop themselves. Yeah. So they said, let's buy the Quick Stop, and we looked at each other, and we said, we should buy that's the Quick it. Stop. We should that's make our it. own movies. So There you go. Oh, that's beautiful. That's a great answer. Uh, when you're on set, what is your go-to craft service snack? Ooh, uh, it's either uh, beef jerky or mm. uh, Twizzlers, because Red 40 makes me hyper. <laughs> <laughs> all good answers all good answers uh who is your hollywood hall pass crush 
my Hollywood Hall Pass crush. Uh, I'm going to go with Chloe Bennett, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She's cute. If you're, if you're listening, call me. Call me. Call me. <laughs> call me. <laughs> Who is a talent that you are dying to work with? Oh, man. If we're talking voiceover-wise, I've been dying to work with Maurice LaMarche for a long time. I've worked with so many of my heroes or been adjacent to so many of my heroes. Oh, sure. You know, I wish I had the opportunity to work with Robin Williams. He was a huge inspiration to so many. uh, Absolutely. Uh, Just a a human embodiment of pure joy. I would have loved to just been a fly on the wall in a room with him. If you could trade places with anybody in the industry for a day, who would you trade places with? Um, Eric Bauza, because he works a lot. (laughs) (laughs) He's the voice of Bugs Bunny. He he and I won uh, Emmys the exact same night, back to back. So we got to do a whole duck season, wabbit season. We got to do that whole thing. But yeah, he works a lot. So yeah, I'd trade places with him. (laughs) I think it's a great answer. And last question. What's the best advice you have for people that might be listening that want to get into Hollywood, are thinking about starting in the industry? What's the best piece of advice that you have that you've heard from someone else? And who told you that piece of advice? A very talented lady named Kari Walgren told me, don't be afraid to let your dreams change. I didn't understand what that meant at first, but... We all go into this thinking we're going to do something and we might end up doing something completely different. And that's okay. As long as you have a good quality of life and you love what you do, it doesn't matter where you get to it. As long as you're on the journey and you trust in yourself, I I think that's really important. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't also throw in my personal mantra that I learned from a casting director named Molly Finn. Uh, the mm. mother of Sarah Haley Finn, who casts a lot of the Marvel movies. I was very close to playing Robin in the movie Batman Forever. They were looking for a young Robin. I had auditioned. I did a cattle call that my mom let me skip out on school with to go and uh, got very far in the process. And she sat me down and she said, Daniel, I always want you to remember this. It's the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. Mm. And it just means you got to make some noise. You got to make some noise. You got to stand out. You have to be heard. And so in all of my endeavors, I have always been the squeaky wheel. Now, you don't want to be the squeaky wheel that gets replaced, but you got to find that happy balance. You got to find that happy balance of standing out from the crowd and thinking outside of the box. And that has really driven much of my decisions in my career that have been uh, successful thus far. So those are the two things I would say. Those are both good answers. The squeaky wheel one, of course, reminded me of at the beginning when you talked about your supercalifragilistic in the booth with Donald. You got that, it. You know, you that's got it, it, right? You just that's take a prime it example. That's beautiful. And a wonderful way to end with that advice. Daniel Ross, it has been an absolute pleasure getting to chat with you over the last hour to pick your brain. Thank you. To hear your expert advice, wisdom, stories of Hollywood yesteryear. Uh, it's absolutely a, a thrill to have you here, and uh, I hope we can do it again sometime. Thank you so much for joining us today, man. Thank you very much for having me. And just so you know, if anybody wants to follow my shenanigans online, you can follow me at actor Daniel Ross across social media. I've made it very easy. That's beautiful. And we will absolutely give a plug on our end as well to make sure that you get even more followers because I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, his TikTok, his Instagram, some of the greatest (laughs) content I watch on the web without question. Come on over. We have some fun. (laughs) (laughs) Daniel, thanks again, man. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure's all mine. 
Kyle on the Isle is an official podcast of Magic Lamp Productions and is recorded in the heart of Hollywood, California. This episode was executive produced and directed by me, Kyle Olson. Produced by Natalie Izquierdo and Lauren Wilson. Editing by Cody Crabb. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and rate it five stars. Every single review goes a long way. And while you're at it, give us a follow on our social media channels at Kyle on the Isle. Thanks for listening. I'm Kyle Olson, and I'll be saving you a seat next time on the Isle. And cut. That's a wrap, folks. <laughs>